Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. This podcast is for you if you have an insane drive to find the truth of things. It's not the good answers that we seek, but the good questions. I interview a range of different guests from many different fields, all with the intention to uncover the simple truths that are hidden in plain sight. Most people don't want to go there. I go there. My guests go there, and you benefit. Please let me know if you enjoy these episodes, and as always, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Jonathan, Jonathan Pritchard, and he is a part of Zavant Enterprises, also a fellow herbiter, and is also running a sales course that is very interesting to me and knows how to do sales, and it's something I'm, I'm very interested in the moment, and so I thought I would bring him on. So welcome to the show. Hey, man. Happy to be here. And I, I'm stoked to be able to talk about Urbit because it's it's I already talk about weird stuff. And then Urbit is so wacky that most folks don't even know where to start. So they never do. So it's the my favorite thing I get to talk about the least. So thank you for giving me this escape escape valve. <laughs> yeah, let's get into the wackiness of Urbit. Uh, so a lot of people talk about it as sort of like the computing paradigm of Mars, um, and sort of just like, it is totally wacky and it's totally decentralized and it's totally just something that the people who are inside of it talk about it as if it's a religion, uh, and everyone outside of it's like, what, what, what the hell is Urbit? Like, what, what are, what are these people <laughs> talking about? Uh, what's your, what's your take on Urbit? I, I found it from a completely different way. And to me, it is the highest return on investment thing that I've found in years. And it aligns philosophically, it aligns technologically, it aligns personally, it just lines up with so much of how I want to live my life, how I have been living my life, but didn't know that there were other people that were this weird too it just checked a lot of boxes and most of it is stuff that I was never interested in before, but it was one of those things of, if you like all this, you're going to love all of that. And we got that in spades. I'm like, all right, cool. So it's this wild rabbit hole for weeks. It took me to, to figure out, what in the world it was and why I would want to be interested in it. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of that kind of thing. And uh, so I imagine that the stuff that you're talking about that wasn't that interesting or what, that you had never been interested before, maybe the, on the computer programming side or. Right. How computers work, how networking works, what goes into getting one computer to talk to the other. I, I, in my head had a model of how I thought the internet works, which is the Urbit model, mm. which is exactly not how the internet works. So it was one of those, I, it was, so my background being a mentalist and, and that's kind of like a magician that specializes in mind reading tricks. Kind of yeah. like I got a, uh, I got my master's degree in magic and I got my PhD in, in mind reading. Wait, 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 can we stop? Wait. Wait, wait, so wait, how, yeah. do you, how do you get a master's or a PhD in magic? Well, magic? You, there isn't any educational body that will yeah. award those to you. That's, that's the easiest way I've found to explain the difference between mentalism and magician and illusionist and that kind of thing. Uh, another handy metaphor is that mystery performer is a mansion and different rooms are different specialties. So mentalist is a mystery entertainer who demonstrates mind to mind communication, maybe predicting mm -hmm. the future, doing all those kinds of things that you would like, basically everything you would throw into the ESP bucket, a mentalist does on stage in front of a room full of 3000 smart people. Uh, it all uses applied psychology, showmanship, and moxie. I don't claim to be genuinely psychic in the way that most people understand. He's psychic, right? Uh, so that's that was that's kind of my background, and it's impressive to me when an audience member thinks they know how something works. Uh. 
they don't need to know how it actually works. They only need an explanation that makes sense to them. And then they walk away believing, I know how all these tricks worked. So that happens all the time because people will go, hey, I figured it out. I'm like, and I used to go, okay, how does it work? Uh, and then they come up with the most convoluted, insane explanation ever. And then I would go, so what about this? And I did that, which is counter to your thing. And then like, oh, okay, yeah, all right. I don't know. But they would have walked away believing I know all the secrets. That's what everybody's doing with the internet. <laughs> I know how it works. No, you don't. <laughs> if you knew how it works, you wouldn't be able to sleep at night since all of our jobs rely on this, this thing called the internet and just how janky it is. And why would you ever do it this way? I don't know. Some guy in the seventies did it that way over a weekend and, and everybody's in on the joke. Like that's, that's the internet. So Urbit, when I found it, was the experience for myself of what audience members get when I talk to them about their wacky theories about how everything works. So it was kind of fun to, to experience that firsthand in a domain that I don't have a lot of ex experience or expertise in, and then go, so this is what it feels like. Well, that's wild. <laughs> I love it because it talks about like what you're talking about human nature and the idea that it's like the, it's worse for a human to have no idea, no sense of what's going on than it is for them to have the most wrong sense of what, what's going on. Like it's better for the most people to have that sense that like, OK, well, they can explain it uh, because it feels yeah. like like horror, like when you when you don't have an explanation of what's going on in front of you and that experience is either really painful or really pleasurable, then. Uh, then the then you have a sort of horror because it's like oh man I am I I don't know where I am like what what's going on and everything like that and uh, exactly very, very here yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's it because in a in a good mind reading show you do want to leave them with zero theory like no clue of given the history of the universe if I had that much time I still couldn't imagine any way that that's possible like that's the ideal outcome and then some people's realities break so hard that they then it's a very difficult uncomfortable experience and then their sense-making mind goes he's paid everybody else in the audience this is all a performance just for you everybody in the theater are actors and you're the only person who's not in on it that that is the way that their brain goes you're okay everything's fine everything you know is still what you know you know how all this works you don't have to question any of your fundamental beliefs you don't have to do any work reorganizing the, your understanding of reality continue on your way and then they go you got it boss and then their conscious mind is like well everything's back to normal <laughs> do, 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 do. and they leave having it learned nothing. <laughs> well, and it's so interesting because it feels like uh, the last few years have been that way for a lot of people. Uh, and and then and there's there's sort of like those of us who looked at what happened over the past few years and are like, oh, huh, something something's going on there. My my model of reality didn't really work out. And uh, and then there about eighty percent of the population is just like, yep, oh, yeah, there's an explanation for that. Uh, let's move on. Uh, not not going to really look into that. Um, exactly yeah. exactly and that uh right. that fits with urbit as well because urbit is sort of this weird thing that a lot of philosophically minded people are talking about and the world that urbit represents is is a sort of very distributed world a decentralized world where the nodes on a network need to already be connected in order to find each other and like it's not like the internet where it's like where, well, it's not like the internet mixed with the previous forms of media where television had one to many. It's like many to many, we're one to one. Um, and uh, and so it represents a fundamentally new sort of world uh, that some people might call like techno-feudalism as well, uh, which mm -hmm. kind of splits splits people off or it splits culture off. And 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 it feels like we're entering a pretty pretty uh, different world than, than the last 300, 400 years. What do you think about yeah. all that? 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, another part of why I think my background gives me a pretty good handle on all of this is that there's a, a big challenge in talking about what Urbit is. And it's very similar to explaining what a magic trick is. Because if you want to talk about the physics, like atoms and molecules, what is this? Well, a good magic trick can be cardboard and duct tape, uh, right? Some of the most incredible illusions you've ever seen work because cardboard and duct tape. So in one way, if you say, what is that trick? At a certain level, you can be interested in how much you can get out of cardboard and duct tape it's extraordinarily difficult for somebody who's not in the world of magic to appreciate how beautiful that simplicity is based on the experience you can get out of it. So I think Urbit falls into that trap where most people who love Urbit talk about what it is. Uh, it's a peer-to-peer -peer serv server and, yeah. and nobody outside that world knows what they're appreciates about. what that does for you what you can accomplish what that experience is like so that's why i kind of focus on the vibes side of things and here's how i use it here's who i talk to here's what i'm doing on a daily basis urbit's the way that makes it all possible but i'm looking at it from an experiential standpoint which is completely counter to a majority of people who are on the Urbit network and how they talk about it. And so that's why it makes it difficult. And then on top of that, it's what it is in terms of, of nuts and bolts and experience today versus the seeds have already been planted, but it's growing into something completely unrecognizable as well so now we've got that temporal dimension that gets really confusing for people because you can talk about what it's going to be and oh it's possible to do this and then people hear oh i can do that right now so i'm going to get on the network and then i thought you said it was possible and you're like yeah it is possible yeah. somebody could write that program there you go so in terms of kind of the culture fragmenting, it was kind of weird because I think culture was more diverse before the internet yeah. because you had more localization, less cross-pollination. So you could be the weird person in your town for longer because more people knew fewer people. Right. Like a bigger percentage of people in your town knew only those people. You didn't know many other people. So you kind of had your niche and you could excel at that. And, and that was it. Then along comes the Internet, which everybody is like, oh, it's diverse and so many yeah. different perspectives. But it becomes this this monocrop of, well, all the weird people from all over the world are now connected and it just kind of like, how many different websites do you visit on a monthly basis? You could read articles and kind of those kinds of things, but the sites you visit on a regular basis, there aren't that many of them. And those are the same ones that everybody else is visiting. So now you've got this monocrop that's entirely susceptible to fungus and all sorts of weird mind viruses. And because your brain is growing that monocrop, you're going to get the same problems as everybody else. So now I, I don't like that monocrop. I don't like that whole the internet. So I kind of like the idea of retreating from that world and then allowing this one species to break apart from Pangea mm -hmm. to have separate continents, oceans 
worth of, of psychic distance between these two starting points and then seeing what weird stuff happens. Like, yeah, that sounds like a much cooler time. And, and I want, I want that world, not Pangea. Yeah. Very interesting. I got a whole bunch of different uh, sort of uh, uh, concepts. The, I love the monocrop consciousness that the internet enabled and how a bunch of weird people from all over the world all got together and created one weird monocrop, basically. And you can see it in the physical world, too, because that's the weird thing of how the digital world melds into the, uh, the physical world. If you go to one cafe in uh, Venice Beach, it'll look like the same cafe in Brooklyn. It'll look like the same cafe in Mexico City. Uh, and that's all mediated through this artistic culture and that, you know, usually artists are artists are the weird ones and such. Uh, but it's all turned into this sort of monocrop and 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 urban is one of a few different things. And it, there's also feels to be just like a general cultural kind of like it really felt like COVID kind of broke that monocrop, um, uh, which is well. And then and then the other current things that happened after after COVID as well have just like splintered it over and over and over again until the last one, which like uh, has basically split off people into 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 two camps that don't really represent the old two camps. And so it's like a constantly fracturing thing. And it just feels like it's going to keep on fracturing. Uh, and um, and like well, like you said, it's now going to be two continents or, or three continents, four continents. And then it's sort of going to be like a Cambrian explosion of new of new niches. And um, are, do you have any interest in trying to monitor all of these different uh, uh, uh continents or like things that are like are what's your plan if if any to kind of see how the whole thing is operating in order to find the best ones yeah i have i have no clue mm -hmm. my main philosophy is be the best one that's that's what i want because i've i've seen a lot of what's on the internet right and i'm like eh, no thanks and and I've, I've been on the network since about 2019, 2019, right? And that I got on when it was still command line only. Yeah. Like to, to change chat rooms, you'd have to remember the two glyph binding for that chat room and then enter that. And all the chat rooms were in, in your command line terminal. I didn't know what command line was. I didn't know what terminal meant when I first found it, right? So I, I had to find out what those very basic terms meant that's how uneducated and inexperienced i was so the terminal has this single scroll of every post from every chat room you're in so the first day i was on basically i was like all right i want a chat room <laughs> so i make one and then notebooks come on board and i'm like i want a notebook so then basically the first day that any new functionality came out on the network, I'd build it out mm. a new group. Cool. So I've, I've had a group since literally day one that groups have, have been on board and I've crashed my computer. I've destroyed it. I've had to, to re rebirth it more than a dozen times. So every group that I build gets burned down. And then I got to rebuild it and direct message the people that I can remember, my friends that I actually like. They're like, all right, hey, <laughs> come on back. We're, re we're rebuilding it. So it's gone through so many incarnations. And there are some of the coolest people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting, getting to know, and, and love are in that group. So it's kind of like, I don't care what anybody else is doing. I'm... I'm happy with having the, the best people on, on planet earth and Mars in my group. So it, as the groups have become more capable and functionality has been built out, the group has been getting cooler and cooler. So in my head, it's Valeria city because it's a play on Valerian in the city of a thousand planets. I was like, how has nobody put Valeria City together? Like, I want a thousand planets in this group. And that's why it's Valeria City. And then there are different districts where there's the tavern where we all hang out and just chat. Then there's the business district where I do all the sales training and sharing all the 
kind of corporate level training that I get paid a lot of money from companies like BP and State Farm, United Airlines to provide to large corporations. Well, I want to teach people those same skills so that you can get paid as much as you possibly can from high paying clients. So we got the business district, we got the arts district where we put memes and artwork and, and that kind of stuff. Then we've got secret societies in there. So there are secret roles that will open up new districts that you can't get to unless you hang out in the tavern long enough for me to go, hey, I, th I think you're cool. I think you would get along with this secret society. And then that's that way, all the all the worlds that I've used to have to keep separate from each other because of how wacky they are and how folks in this circle would have no clue why in the world this circle would even be in their orbit of ideas. Well, now I've got one place for all of that. So it's kind of like the urban network effect of being able to have shadow cities, but in the city itself. So it, it's, it's this fractal thing of even though you're in my group, you're still not in the whole group. There's still levels to levels on this. And to me, that's just so fascinating. I love it. I love it. And, and there's no, like, I, here's, here's a huge problem I've got that Urbit solves, which is I do a monthly mind reading show here in Asheville, North Carolina. And I get the same questions over and over and over again about, hey, how's parking? When are doors? Do I need to print out my tickets? Do I need to do this? And I get emails all the time and messages on Facebook and all these different places that people reach out to me. So in an effort to solve that issue, everybody who buys a ticket, I want them on the, hey, they bought a ticket so they get the emails that only go to people who are coming to the show because they're the person who needs to know here are the restaurants that are near the venue. These are open beforehand. If you want dinner afterwards, these are the ones that are going to be open, right? I can't email those people who didn't check the, I want to hear about promotional emails from the performer because the email GDPR and com com like compatibility and compliance and all that stuff, right? So these people are opting out or they're, they're not opting in. And now that's my problem because they're now asking me through a whole bunch of other channels, the information I was going to get them, but they didn't know. And I'm saying for details about parking and restaurants and everything that you need to know, check this box. They're not checking the box. And then my email delivery provider is like, sorry, you can't email the people who trust you enough to give you money. So if they were all on Urbit, I could DM them. I could put them all in a group. I don't need to worry about deliverability issues. I don't need to worry about spam. I don't need to worry about the email provider saying, well, Jonathan, I don't think that you can talk to this person and because it would hurt our deliverability, well, we're not going to let you get connected to the people who are asking you to tell them stuff. So I've got some other company that is directly interfering with my ability to run my business with my community the way that they're literally asking me to, to connect with them. And Urbit solves all of that. Yeah, and it's a it's a symptom of what of what you're talking about because the 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 original Unix way of doing the internet was you have one client. Uh, sorry, no, you have you have one server, and then you have a whole bunch of clients that go into that server. And what Urbit Urbit is actually peer to peer network, so our two ships can interact. Uh, my ship and that planet can interact. My ship and that galaxy can inter interact. I believe that's how it works. I'm not not totally yep. sure. But, uh, and so, yeah, it's like, it, it, and, and then you mentioned GDPR, which is like, you have the centralized internet, which is client server relationship, and that's all in a nation state. And then also a conglomeration of nation states called the EU has decided that 
we're going to make all of these rules associated with this thing to protect people. Uh, 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 and it's just like a whole, like, uh, like it's a, just a nightmare. The whole thing is a total nightmare and, and Urbit represents something, something different, which, uh, which I'm yeah. really excited about. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be able to set up an event on Urbit and say, it's at this time at this location, if you RSVP, then you get added to this chat. That's your single source of truth. It'll all be here. And then I can message this whole room full of my attendees that I'm going to be meeting in two weeks. And I could pin messages. I could have a notebook, have questions about the, the dining options. Here's, here's that whole article. Here's all these articles. Now I've got a whole community full of people who have been to the show and people that were going to the show. And these people are excited to experience it. Then the people who liked it, they're like, oh, you guys are going to love it. And now there's audience engagement happening before the show's ever even started. How hmm. in the world do you do that right now? You've got to cobble together so many different things. And it's yet another platform and another profile and log in to remember they're just not going to do it. Yep. Now, one of the problems I imagine you face with that right now is that all the people that might go to your shows, go to your events, probably aren't on Urbit at the moment. Uh, and that it's only sort of like uh, uh, weirdos like myself who have gone gone onto this Urbit network. Probably a lot of them are men, uh, although there are more more women coming onto the network, I think. But uh, has that been a problem for you in, in a sense that like you want to do things on Urbit, but not, not a lot enough people are on Urbit yet? Right. That's that's the what it is versus what it's going to be challenge. So it's it's way more likely that somebody in my group will come to my show and people in my group have driven a couple of states over to come see the show. That's that's more likely and has happened, but not a person that has come to the show will get on urban. <laughs> and have, have you talked to a large audience about urban that is not yeah, yeah 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 no not not really because they're they're coming for chuckles and to be amazed like let me talk to you about the lord and savior urban christ <laughs> like what the, the old bait and switch yeah right? <laughs> pretty pretty big non sequitur there yeah um, uh, well, I'd love to talk about that. I'd love to talk about your the 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 background of being a mentalist and how that came about. And because you had told me on our call the other day that you had you had essentially uh, got into doing trainings and such for corporations from being a mentalist. And I love that story. And I'd love to understand more about that story of how you how you made that jump from these two opposite worlds. And I guess we're talking about another opposite world, which I guess is why we're having this conversation because I love tangents and such. And I love the fact that you went mentalist. Big enterprise sales, urban. Uh, so how yeah. do all those things come together? Yeah, I'm just pulling the same thread on all of it, which is yeah. what's interesting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And when I was six years old-ish or so, my dad got me a magic kit for Christmas. He thought, well, he'll lose the pieces; it'll wind up in the trash in a couple of days. But in that time, it'll it'll be good fun. A year later, I'm still still messing with it. And he goes, okay, I guess this is a thing. So then they bought me a magic book the next year and, and still, and just never, never stopped. So I've, I've dabbled in everything, anything magic related. I've, I've messed with it to some extent, card tricks, coin tricks, rope tricks, stuff you could do around the house with rubber bands and just cardboard box illusions, anything, but the mind reading stuff always tended to freak people out the most. And that was the most interesting because if, if you've got a shoe box and you show it empty and then you close the lid and then you open it and then there, there's a whole bunch of handkerchiefs in it, you kind of go, well, that's neat. I guess he had that hidden somewhere. Yeah. So the amazement level is pretty low, but if this 12 year old kid could tell you the name of your first pet when you were six, okay, wait a minute. Nothing in my world has prepared me to to be able to explain this. So you just showed me a huge crack in my understanding of reality. I don't even know where there was room for trickery. Like, do you have the gift? Are you like 
was your grandma psychic or something? Like what's going on here? And it was that response that I was like, Oh, that's tasty. <laughs> let's, let's look into that. So that's why I focused on the mind reading tricks. And there, there are a lot, there are a lot of tangents about uh, learning weird stuff from weird people. Like I learned how to juggle fire when I was 13, I was hammering nails at my nose when I was 15 years old. I learned how to eat fire when I was 18 when I was 17 or so, my mom would drive me to the comedy club in Asheville that was open for a short while because they let people like me in. Um, but I would do the open mic night, hammer a nail up my nose, not even really have performance to it. I just kind of do it like, hey, look, it's a nail. Uh, tink, 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 tink. And hammered up my nose and people would freak out. So that's kind of how I got started. Um, <laughs> and... And in college, I was doing dorm party shows and local Kiwanis club shows and and the nicest restaurant in the biggest city nearby. I would walk around Friday and Saturday nights and entertain people. So I was a lifesaver for the restaurant because, say, a, a server just forgot to put in an order. Well, now that's a another 10 minutes and people are going to be, where's my food? So then the servers would come over to me and be like, hey, I forgot table seven's order. I just put it in. Can you cover? I'd go over, blow their minds for 10 minutes, and then the food would show up. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. And they're like, no, no, stick around. I'm like, no, no, you're here to eat, right? Leave them wanting more. So it was a business thing where I was providing a service to a company that didn't have to comp that dinner anymore. So my, my money's made easy that way, right? So that's how I was kind of using the skill. But in college, I started getting interested in understanding why these experiences are possible to create in the first place. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the peek behind the curtain into the fundamental substrate of how humans interact with reality mm -hmm. and all the shortcuts that our meat system uses because from a, a electrons standpoint, our brain uses about the same amount of electricity as your refrigerator's light bulb. That's how much brain power you have. <laughs> Good luck, right? So there, there are some shortcuts that our, our physiology uses to make sense out of three-dimensional, four-dimensional space and, and narrative and here's what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. So when you start looking into why is magic possible in the first place, you find some really wacky stuff. And the cool part about it is that magic tricks are, they're going to work no matter where that person grew up. Mm -hmm. So it's not culturally, contextually relevant. It's fundamental human hardware and operating system level. So that's why with the psychology replication crisis and also how your favorite psychological facts came from tests, where do most of them get their human guinea pigs? College freshmen who want to make 20 bucks being a part of this study. Yeah, And I don't know about you, but I was not a representative member of humanity when I was in college. Yeah. So there, there's so many reasons why the hard and like the foundation of all psychology that we understand that every marketer pulls on, that every salesperson pulls on, that every mindset guru pulls on are all pulling on that science box of here's everything we know about how humans operate based on some experiments we ran on college freshmen from the 1970s. Or here's a 10,000 year lineage of magicians that have been able to use the same tricks, the same methods to amaze people from every culture that has any kind of recorded history. It always shows up and it's always the same methods because it's the same hardware, it's the same software. Mm -hmm. The cultural layer is way above where magic's working. 
So if, if you really look into that, pull it apart, what you find is kind of the universal operating system for persuasion, for helping people understand, to change their mind, to communicate, to connect. All the things that megacorps are willing to pay lots of money to put to use to get their message across, to communicate their value to their perfect clients. So I used my show to travel the world, to have adventures, and it was fun. And I start getting people emailing me after, because I did a lot of college shows, mm. start getting emails. Hey, a couple of years ago, you came to my college. I don't even know if you remember me, but you talked to me afterwards in the autograph line. It blew my mind. I made a whole bunch of changes and here's how awesome my life is now. And that was the peak into, oh, the way that I think about things is not normal for most people. Yeah. It's what I'm used to because it's how I've thought since I was six years old. I got I got inoculated against these, these mind viruses super early so I can recognize how people get fooled and what all that entails, right? So that was the peek into, oh, maybe I should talk about the behind the curtain stuff in addition to, mm. oh, wait a minute. I've, I've been using all of this in my own career this whole time. So there's the fractal idea again, is that the same approaches that work on stage work off stage in order for me to get the gig to even be on stage in the first place. And those are the same ideas I've used to be a poor kid living in a trailer park in, in Appalachia, North Carolina, some of the most, like the poorest part of the nation West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee. That's that's where I grew up. My dad worked in factories my whole life. My mom was a secretary my whole life, right? How do you get to be a high-paid corporate consultant from that start? Doesn't happen because somebody gave it to you. Like, yeah. good luck, right? So it was kind of that that, oh my God, oh my God, unfolding of holy crap. This simple principle that makes this stupid card trick work on stage is what helped me get on stage, is what helped me book that gig, which is what helped me believe that I am good enough to even get booked in the first place. And it just all unfolded from there. So the corporate work started because I would do a show Maybe a, a company would hire me to be their holiday party entertainment. And then I would just destroy them, just blow their dang minds. And then the sales director would be like, holy crap, you're just so comfortable on stage. And it looks like you're not doing anything extraordinary. But I know that you're doing some really tough work. And Steve is a real hard ass. And you had him laughing. And I know before you got out there, Steve was going, I'm going to bust this guy's chops. Uh -huh. yeah. He's not going to get me. I'm going to explain how it all works. And then afterwards, he's your biggest fan. Can you teach my guys how to do that with these tough leads that we're talking to? Mm. Like, yeah, man, you got it. Like, this is a system. It's, it's not just some gift I was born with. This is a thing I had to figure out how to do. Absolutely. Here's here's my approach. So I got brought in to do sales training workshops and and then that evolved into, well, could you help us negotiate? Because you're a crazy good negotiator. I thought I was going to get you for this and you had me paying you five times that much. And I still would have paid you five times more after going through this this workshop. Right. So started sales, then negotiation, then holy crap. Can you teach the CEO how to be a better presenter? Because he's going out on these stages and he's so uncomfortable that it looks like he's not confident in the business. So he's not communicating our value properly. So we're not getting the investors that we need. Yeah, sure. You got it. So I start doing executive coaching, presentation skills training. Okay, cool. So then I'm talking to the sales director and the sales director is going, hey, we're going to be exhibiting at this trade show. I don't know. Could you help us there? I'm like, absolutely. Because when I was 13 years old, learning how to juggle fire, 
on Friday and Saturday nights, my parents would drive me up to Asheville, drop me off on the sidewalk. They would go have dinner or go shopping or whatever. And then I would juggle fire on the sidewalk. And then everybody walking around would be like, I know I have something else to do, but it is not as interesting as this 13-year-old kid who's juggling fire and there's no adult around. What is going on? So people would literally just form a crowd. And once I've got a crowd, nothing builds a crowd like a crowd. So before you know it, there's 20 people. There might have been one or two people walking on the, the sidewalk. Where the hell did all these people come from? Right. So, OK, so you've got to get attention, but now I have to hold attention. So you, sir, I want to show you something amazing with a twenty dollar bill. I promise you'll get it back. I give you my word as a person, not as a performer. So put the 20, fold it up, put it in an envelope, got other envelopes, mix them up. You pick one and you'll get your money back. Check it out. I'm going to burn these others. Awesome. Open your open your envelope. Oh, there's no money in it. We'll get back to his $5 bill here in a couple of minutes and you just move on. I just guaranteed that nobody's leaving. Mm-hmm. They're like, did that guy just burn that $20 bill? Did he really do that? Well, if you watch a single video on YouTube, you'll see that technique at play. Mm-hmm. Stick around for the end when I show you that one thing you absolutely can't afford to do or you'll destroy your whole business. Well, let's dig in. Open the loop. It's a hook. So YouTube been around for, what, a decade or like however long it's been around. And these YouTube gurus are like, here's this latest technique to increase your your video retention rate. Dude. Street performers and and jugglers and magicians have known this since they were performing on the street, which has been forever. Mm-hmm. Jean-Eugène Robert Houdin from the 1800s was the first magician to bring it into theater mm-hmm. and wear a tuxedo. Mm-hmm. Used to be it was wizards wearing robes and the conical hat and stars and moons on it. What you think of as the silly wizard from from cartoons and stuff was what the street performers were wearing to let you know that, Oh, here's the magic show guy has come through town. Jean-Yves Houdin was like, this could be a really cool. If you framed it properly, then he made a, a theater show. He's the guy that Houdini took his name from. But when you think of a magician and in your head, you're thinking top hat tails rabbit out of top hat. Jean-Yves Robert Houdin from France was the magician you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. That's his brand. Mm-hmm. So now you're talking about branding. Mm-hmm. How the hell do you create an image that's so unique and indelible that people more than a, a hundred years later think of you and they don't even realize that it's your brand. You're such the brand that you are the archetype. Right. So now it's like archetype branding, like screw you. Just like the image in your head of magician is that guy. The name of Houdini means something pretty much similar, but it's that indelible mark. And that's all personal branding. That's what I'm telling you, man. Every single thing you need to understand to survive and thrive in this digital world as a content creator, as a solopreneur as a lifestyle travel blogger every single thing you need to know has already been figured out by magicians which makes it even more amazing that most magicians don't understand that and it's so okay they don't have a brand it's it's amazing yeah it's so interesting because it like magic uh there's a word called occult uh and occult i'm sure you know it but maybe the audience doesn't know it like occult like it's the 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 word comes from planetary bodies being disappeared behind another planetary body. And so like a temporary sort of moving out of consciousness and, you know, on the veil. And we've been talking about reality yeah. and all these different things. And magic is over there. So people don't look at it because it's part of the occult. And and it, it, if you look at it, then it starts to make you question the nature of reality in general, which is what, you, what we've been talking about. And 
not many people like to go there except for for weird people but then it also reminds me that the 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 that so much of life is about relationships and like in business so many people think that business is this objective thing that it's just like clear across you know it's like so objective it's roi we got to prove our roi it's all going to be you know it's all going to be like like really straightforward anybody can see it but at the end of every single decision there's always a human being who's making irrational decisions based on incomplete information and uh, 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 and who has a model of reality that doesn't fit that what it reality is and it's so interesting because uh, magic is a universal, as you've been talking, a cultural universal. And those things are always really interesting, like dance is another universal that transcends culture. Uh, every single culture has dance. Every single culture has uh, food, uh, has, you know, uh, uh, rituals, all the uh, religion, all, all these things transcend any one individual culture. Um, very interesting. Um, yeah. What do you think is, so how did you first figure out how much this could be applied to business? And I guess like for our listeners, what is the most important thing that they can get across from this interview about how to manage relationships, how to manage irrationality, how to do good business? Uh, uh, in this world that's just like where everybody pretends it's all rational, but it's all pretty irrational. Yeah, I'll I'll start there and then work our way back to how I figured it out. Um, the, the biggest lesson is how much business you don't get for reasons you don't see. Yeah. That That's the biggest thing is that that's why Sherlock Holmes who was a, a, a creation from Sir Conan Arthur Doyle, who is best friends with Houdini until Sir Conan Arthur Doyle's wife, who is a spiritualist, mm. who claimed to be able to talk to the dead and compel the dead to talk to her, mm. claimed to be able to talk to Houdini's dead mom, and Houdini was a mama's boy, who uh. desperately wanted this to work, but Sir Conan Arthur Doyle's wife connected to his mom and drew a cross. Well, Houdini's mom was super Jewish, would never draw a cross. And that's how Houdini knew for sure that this thing that he thought wasn't real for sure wasn't real, even though he hoped it was. So Houdini was like, this isn't real, which besmirched Sir Conan Arthur Doyle's wife's honor. So that's kind of how they fell out. Oh, interesting. All of that to say that that guy created the world's most famous hard logic detective. Uh... And in one of the, the stories, the main clue that that sets off the whole case was that the dog didn't bark. And you don't realize that you don't notice it nobody else in the story notices it because you can't hear the dog that's not barking and that is such a weird like it's so obvious that most people go well that's obvious of course i don't hear the dog that doesn't bark but then when an expert goes hey you should fix your website because it's actively driving people away you go, well, we're selling widgets. My website works. But you're not seeing yeah, yeah. all the business you're not getting because of how hot garbage your website is. So now you're losing, just to make up numbers, say you're losing $20,000 in sales a month. But you're making $10,000 in sales a month but you wouldn't spend $2,000 to do a conversion rate optimization audit to identify what you should change to get that extra 20,000. Why in the world would I spend 20% of my revenue? That's expensive. No, $2,000 is not expensive. The cost is the $20,000 you're not getting every month. So just this year alone, 20,000 times 12, that's how much business your company hasn't made 
because of your hot garbage. Apply that to your sales process, your closing, your negotiation skills, your delivery team. So businesses don't see the business they don't get from how they're currently doing things. So when you show them better ways to do things, there's no evidence that they should do it from where they're sitting because things are working just fine. So you don't know what you don't know, and it literally kills your business. So I learned, I learned all of that because I was doing college shows and they're great. However, they don't pay a lot. They still pay more than a children's birthday party. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's fantastic. However, I saw other performers doing corporate gigs and they're making bank. They're making. So if, if a birthday party magician is making 50 bucks, a college performer is making a thousand dollars. Holy crap. Mm. Multiple orders. Make. Like, all right, that's, that's mm. amazing. Mm. And then if you're making a thousand bucks doing a college show and then the corporate guy's getting paid $5,000. Are you telling me that I could do one corporate show, leave my house once and get paid the same as if I had to go do five college shows? Holy crap. So I, I'm a big believer in mentors. So most of everything that I've learned how to do, I've had a mentor. I had a mentor teach me how to juggle, teach me how to juggle pins, then fire. He also taught me how to eat fire. So any kind of high stake skill, get somebody who knows how to do it to show you how it works. Don't figure it out yourself. You're, you're just going to get burned, right? And I mean that in a literal way. If, if you're going to juggle fire, right? I, I've had a mentor for every kind of professional expansion that I've done. So I, I have a, a mentor that I love dearly. I've known him for 20 years now, who he was an executive at Sharp Electronics in the 80s that took it from a millions of dollars revenue company and helped turn it into a billions of dollar revenue company. And those principles that he used to make that happen are the same principles that I use to help other companies make more money. So in the framework of learning how to be a corporate performer, you're actually learning how to be a corporate consultant. Mm -hmm. you're, you're focused on consulting about a corporate event, which is a high stick environment itself. So you've got their best interests at mind because you want this event to be successful so that your client's happy that they brought you in. And what's at stake is the relationship with all their employees mm -hmm. and their spouses mm -hmm. who could be their greatest asset or liability, depending on they didn't even say thank you to you. You know, you work hard for them. You work late for them. And they didn't even thank any of you. And I thought tonight was supposed to be special appreciation night for for you and all the employees. Did you remember to do that, Mr. CEO man? Did you remember to do that, Miss HR lady? Uh, no, you didn't. I've studied hospitality. I've studied psychology. Like, I know that you have to do that. And now all their spouses are going, wasn't that nice of them to say thank you? Would have been better if they gave you that raise, but you know, at least, right? Yeah. So those little touches matter. So in learning how to be a corporate performer, I learned all the corporate language mm -hmm. and what matters and return on investment and what all that world is. So now any project I'm brought into, I'm filtering it through my experience as a mentalist, and then I just translate real time into corporate speak, the same concepts and ideas. And it, it even works in marketing. And again, you'll, you'll be able to blow any marketing book out of the water, thinking about it through the lens of putting on a show. You need to put up posters. You need to put up collateral where people are going to see it. So go where your ideal client is and show up again and again and again with different messages not just one poster, 
seven different designs of different sizes, bright, colorful, black and white. And make sure that that poster communicates who's going to love it and who's going to hate it so that they never buy a ticket. Hmm. That's the public. Your total addressable market. Then your marketing filters out the wrong people so that only the people who would love your show buy a ticket. Now they're an audience member. They're not a, a member of the public. They're an audience member. So they bought in, but they haven't experienced your magic yet. So how do you take care of them before you've delivered your product? What's mm. the onboarding experience like? Do you have an usher that greets them at the door and walks them to their seat? Do you have music playing? Do you have something to watch while they're there? Show starts. All right. Use lighting. Use sound. Use every tool at your disposal to focus them. When they're focused, now they can remember. You've got their attention. Now you do the show. Everybody there's going to have a great time. Even a smaller percentage of those people are going to be fans for life. Mm -hmm. Those are the people that sign autographs. Do you go hide in your green room or do you go to the back of the theater and shake everybody's hand as they leave and then sign every autograph for somebody who's willing to stand in line for just as long as they watched your show. Now they're going to stand in line for 45 minutes just for you to sign a poster, shake their hand, have a picture. Thank you so much mm. for that 45 seconds, 45 minutes, an hour's show, 45 minutes in the autograph line for 45 seconds to get to meet you. What story are they going to tell? Oh, I met that guy, Jonathan and I, we go way back. I first met him. Now you're there, your brand ambassador. There's your word of mouth marketing. So that's why show business, mm. so many show people are awful at the business and every business is God awful at the show sure. part of it. So I, I'm just the conduit from these two worlds, flowing the business to the show people, flowing the show to the business people. And it's, it's a fun living. That's really cool. Uh, we'll have to do another one of these uh, because you just said some really interesting things about language uh, and just how it's a lot of it is translation from one framework to another. And you don't need a specific separate language. You just need a specific a separate uh, uh, almost like slang uh, from each of the people that you're talking to. And it's all about recognizing who you're actually talking to and delivering them in a way that they understand. Uh, Which so is computer protocols. And that's all it is. And AI too, like just the large language models, the fact that large language mo models, like it's the linguistic ability that the robots have taken over basically and, and are going to change a lot of things. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I would love to, to come back anytime that you'd have me to talk about all sorts of weird stuff. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, and uh, can you tell people more about the the, the training you're running or, or anything else that you want to share with people? Yeah, for sure. The best place to go is ICanReadMinds.com. That will take you to my portfolio site. And there is where I share everything. And I've I've built out in an online academy that I'm putting the video courses. So if you want the world's most amazing mindset course from one of the world's best mind readers, I have that for free. It's like five hours long. You could pop it on in the background and it will destroy the thousand dollar program that you've bought. So that's there. I also have a memory course that's there. That'll help you remember names, dates, numbers, words, all sorts of stuff, your shopping list. You'll never have to check your phone again. Right. And okay. then I have the video version of that training course available. And about once a quarter, I'm running a live cohort training for that sales system because part of my day job is one of the world's best digital marketing agencies on planet earth. I'm the sales trainer. I I'm the hammer that they bring in for large enterprise deals that need to get across the finish line. And they're like, they're being tough. I negotiate, I come in, I make the deal happen. So I'm, I'm regularly working on, 
opportunities that are worth millions of dollars in annual revenue. And then when the salesperson needs some help, they call me in. So I've got some approaches and systems and techniques that you're not going to find anywhere else because where else are you going to find the mind reading sales guy? <laughs> Nowhere else. So sometimes real life, real time, let's go over the system. Now that you know the system, let's talk about how it applies to your situation and getting that live coaching. So that's a, like a four to five week course with a small group of people so that we can have real time back and forth. So it's not too big. So in 24, I'll be running that about every quarter, uh, depending on bandwidth and that kind of thing. So all that stuff, everything, I talk about all of that in my email list. So sign up for the love of God. Say, yes, I really do want to hear from Jonathan. Otherwise, you're never going to get it. And to, to give you a heads up, I do email every day, but they're short. You'll have finished reading it by the time you've opened it kind of thing. But as you can tell, I'm interested in so many different things that have direct application to high stake business that I simply have too much to talk about to only have a weekly or a monthly email. So I, I need to help people so much that I have to have a daily email list. So that's the best place to, to go, which you can get on when you go visit ICanReadMinds.com. And then if you really want the inside track, go to valeria.city. That's the URL, valeria.city, where you can fill out an application to be a citizen of the, the best techno-positive, human-centric group of people on Mars or any other planet in any other solar system. Um, so yeah, I, I look forward to seeing anybody that has made it this far. Thanks so much for listening. And dude, I really appreciate your invitation to to share my thoughts one of many hopefully you got thank it you, so you got it thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed this episode as always you can find me on twitter at Stuart alsop iii also don't forget to subscribe on spotify or itunes for every weekly episode that i publish on monday mornings hope you have a great day